Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today is Jackson McIntyre. He is an analyst and grader for Pro Football Focus, a University of Minnesota grad as well, and a Vikings fan who is now living in Los Angeles. Jackson, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I want to start before we get into some stuff about about your your journey with PFF and and what you do there um, and and some Vikings talk as well. I want to start kind of with your background a little bit. Um, So how did you like get into the Vikings uh, in the first place? Cause you're not from Minnesota. Uh, we were just talking before this. Um, and, yep. and then how did you end up like coming to the university of Minnesota and just kind of what's your whole relationship with, with Minnesota and with the Vikings? Yeah. So back in like 06, 07 or so, my grandpa was a big Oklahoma fan. I used to watch all those games with him and being uh, born in LA and raised in LA, we didn't have a team back then. So I was kind of like a free agent with the whole fandom thing. And so when uh, Adrian Peterson came out to be drafted, as I was a big fan of him in college, I was just kind of as a 10 year old, 11 year old saying like, wherever he goes, I'm going to be a fan of that team. And Vikings drafted him and I became a Viking fan. And then moving forward, um, I ended up going to the University of Minnesota in 2017 to 19. Um, that was uh, mainly because I had a job offer for the Super Bowl that I thought would be really good for my career and stuff. So took that. Um, th- that was a really good time out there. Uh, love Minnesota, love Minneapolis. Um, I lived in Dinky Town, so that was that was an experience in itself. But yeah, yeah, no, it's I've I've been kind of connected with uh, Minneapolis and the state of Minnesota for like most of my life. Um, even before I went to college there, I was out in 2015 when I was writing for the Daily Norseman um, in Mankato covering a training camp for back when uh, Zimmer Bridgewater, I think is second or second year, I believe. Um, all those, all those guys. I think that was the year right before we went to the playoffs when Blair Walsh shanked that field goal. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, there, there would probably be some, some Vikings fans who would question that decision that you made to kind of opt into Vikings fandom when, uh, a lot of people are kind of forced into it or born into it, but, yep. <laughs> um, despite the lack of, of Super Bowls and, and, uh, playoff success, always an interesting team to watch and follow for sure. Talented players, um, things like that. Were you able to get to some games ever when you were out here in college? Yeah, I actually went to that season opener game against the Saints with uh, Sam Bradford oh, when yeah. he was dropping dimes all over the field. And then I, I think that was the only game he played. Maybe he played a couple more, but yeah, I think he played a little bit the following week against the Bears, I believe, but was just yeah. already kind of falling apart. And that's when Case Keenum yeah. took over and, and led that magical season. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you also, you, you, I, I was looking into you and you said you did some um, stuff with the Super Bowl uh, when that was here in that 2017 year. What were you doing with that? Yeah, so that was kind of a departure from what the rest of my football work has been. That was more like uh, management stuff. I worked for the Super Bowl experience and managed um, like a big group of part-timers and helped run like some of those event machines and stuff. Honestly, probably wasn't worth the out-of-state tuition for that, but um, still a good experience. Yeah, and and then how'd you end up getting started with uh, with PFF? Yeah, so I got started part-time in 2016. Um, I tell everybody PFF is, they've always been really good at providing opportunities to prove yourself. And if you put that work in, um, you'll you'll get noticed. Even with today, obviously there's much more competition than way back when. But um, yeah, so I started part-time 2016. Uh, I was working weekends only. Uh, I was part-time until 2019. So all throughout uh, most of my college experience, I was staying in on weekends, grinding football Saturday, late Saturday nights, late Sunday nights. Um, Definitely worth it though. And um, I became full-time about a month or two right after I graduated college. So that was in 2019. Um, Started grading in uh, 2018 as a part-timer that was my last year as a part-timer and uh yeah mainly just do grading and uh coverage stuff route stuff is kind of what i focus on mostly yeah that's that's really cool and and it's really interesting to me um because i use pff a ton it's a kind of an invaluable resource um Mm -hmm. and not just the the grades strictly but the kind of the advanced stats um that are available on that website with the like yards per route run and yeah. um, yards allowed per coverage. Now, just all kinds of things like that, that I find really interesting. But at the end of the day, the thing that I think PFF has kind of been known for, and a lot of people look at are those grades. Uh, yeah. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit, like um, as much as you are, you're able to share uh, about like kind of the mm-hmm. process that goes into that. Cause I think, I think a lot of people would probably find that interesting that don't know much about how those grades come to be. So just yeah. like with what you're doing now, um, what do you, what do your responsibilities look like? Like what does a typical week look like for you during the football season? Yeah. So, uh, football season's obviously pretty busy. That's definitely the busy season. Um, a lot of tape grinding for me, I'm mostly doing grading, uh, coverage charting, um, ball placement charting, different kinds of, uh, routes, stuff that we do with charting different routes and piecing everything together throughout the week. And typically weekends are grading work week is doing all 22 work. So that's uh, kind of the breakdown and just kind of talking about the grades. Um, one thing that I noticed that comes up a lot when I'm talking to people about the grades that aren't really too fluent with what we do um, is that people kind of say you can't, or like, it's a bad stat. You can't make a stat of a player's grade, whatever. But I think that it's, um, it's important to note that we're basically 
using a qualitative observation and putting that into a quantitative form. So the, the grade itself is not a quantitative type stat. The grade itself is based on observation and meshing football knowledge and what's really happening on happening on the play. And then that's being turned into a, a number, but the, how we're getting there is through perspective and through actually knowing the game and piece together who messed up on this assignment who was good here who was bad here who blew this who blew that um so it's it's just a it's unique in that sense because obviously we are an analytics company but i think that there's a really important balance when talking football of balancing the quote-unquote eye test with the analytics and i think that that's what we really strive to do yeah, and so just of, of a basic explanation for people who may not even know what PFF is, you are you're grading every play, every player yep. on every play um, in both the NFL and and you do some college stuff as well, right? Yep. Yep. Um, and then it's if I'm not mistaken, each play is uh, kind of scaled from it starts at zero and it can go up to two or negative two mm-hmm. in in increments of 0.5. Is that right? Yep. Correct. Um, so. I think one kind of like thing that I hear just from people on, on social media or whatever about PFF is like, Oh, how can they know what the player's responsibility is within their specific scheme? Um, and so I, I assume that that's not like, because what you're saying is it's, it's a subjective qualitative thing to some degree. Um, but like how much preparation goes into like learning the X's and O's and learning um, various schemes so that you, to the best of your ability, can can know what a player is supposed to be doing on any given play and, and therefore whether they did that well or not. Yeah, so there's, there's a whole lot of development with just football-based training. Uh, all of our graders, go, we go through rigorous training and just learning the responsibilities and everything going on on the play, what sh- should be happening here. In there, but one thing that's important too with that is that multiple eyes are looking over all of these plays. It's not just one person's opinion watching it. And when we're watching that tape from an all 22 perspective, we have um, high, highly knowledge football minds uh, running their eyes through those plays. And, you know, it's just, it's almost like building like a tower of informed opinions and, it comes to a conclusion where multiple eyes have looked over this and this is how we feel about this. Now there will sometimes be times where, and we've said this many times on other, in other places that we're not going to be able to tell who was responsible and coverage or whatever on every single play. There will be some plays that that's just something that we don't know. And so when we don't know that we won't go and take a guess on that. That's something that we will um, basically just write off that, but that is a drop in a big bucket. It's when you're talking about a player season grade, a few plays play here and there, it's really not going to have much of an impact on the overall grade. Yeah. So that'll be a situation like that. You'll just kind of like mark it as a zero and move on. Yep. Um, yeah. That, no, and that's interesting. And uh, just, I'm curious, like from your perspective, doing this for a few years now, are there certain positions that are 
like the toughest to grade um, just when in terms of like all that goes into playing certain positions? Um, I don't know if there's one position that would necessarily be the toughest. I would say it's more so there can be some pretty complicated coverages. There can be some pretty complicated run fits, all kinds of different stunts, looping, looping stuff going on that can throw off how we're, um, or just make things complicated and in, in understanding it, but definitely, uh, something that, you know, the more you study, the more you, you look into it and work on it, it starts to make more sense. Yeah, for sure. No, I, it's, that's really interesting, honestly. So this like right now, um, during the off season, what is, what is the like week look like for you? Yeah. So off season is kind of the slower season, obviously. Um, so lots of training, lots of just football development, uh, watching tape, uh, training other people, training part-timers, uh, working on developing our product further and, uh, touching up our data from the previous season, looking forward to the next season and new things we want to focus on, new things we're implementing into our system and really just overhauling the process and trying to improve it as much as we can every off season. Yeah, it makes sense. And are you back, back to like during the season, are you, will you do like one NFL game a week? Or are you doing a bunch of games? Uh, depends on the week, but for, I mean, Sundays obviously are going to be the big NFL days, but um, usually more than one okay. depending on the week. Yeah, uh, no, it's cool. And I, for me, and I think there's a lot of Vikings fans out there, like look forward to uh, when those grades drop and, and just kind of um, yeah. pouring, pouring through all that information, not, not just the grades, but um, the coverage versus receiving and, um, quarterback stuff and and all the various information that is on there. So um, mm -hmm. that's cool to hear a little bit of the insight behind that. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about some Viking stuff with you since you are a, a Vikings fan, uh, thanks to Adrian Peterson. Mm -hmm. uh, and I wanted to kind of do this in the format of, of giving you some over-unders and, and getting your opinion on on whether they you think this stat or this ranking will go over or under. Um, yeah, or yeah. not, not necessarily even a, a number for this year, like not like a player prop, but, um, for example, I'm, I was looking at your, your website PFF and you've been doing the, um, uh, on the content side, a lot of like positional rankings. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious just what you think about some of the big name Vikings, um, and not, not necessarily where they are exactly on those lists, but just in general. So to start Kirk cousins, uh, who was kind of a, a polarizing topic uh, within the Vikings. Um, I have written down, this is just kind of arbitrary, 13.5 Kirk Cousins placement in the NFL quarterback rankings. Uh, and I, I'm gonna, we're going to work through this together. I'm not just going to ask you to answer that right away. But if, if I put Kirk Cousins at 13.5, some of the names that I think can be like very safely ranked ahead of him, Brady, Rodgers, Wilson, uh, I think Matt Stafford after winning a Super Bowl, obviously Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, Burrow, Jackson, um, Kyler Murray, that's 10. That gets a little oh. Kyler Murray, depending on how you feel about him. But then then you start talking about Dak Prescott, Derek Carr, Ryan Tannehill, Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins. Where do you do you do you have Kirk Cousins 
uh, in the top 13 or outside of the top 13. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I think he's top 13. Um, I think I'd agree with all of those names that you were listing as um, pretty clearly ahead of him. Um, I think I don't think that Stafford is ultimately that much better. I, I do think that that Super Bowl does put him ahead in any kind of ranking discussion. But um, I think that they could have gotten very similar results with Kirk on that team. Um, and I think that Kirk is probably at the top of that next tier that you started listing, the Dak Prescotts, the Ryan Tannehills, Derek Carr. I, I think that he's – about on par with a Dak Prescott type quarterback. Um, good, not great, but I think that you, if you put the right team around him, he can win and he makes big time throws and he uh, throws guys open. He's got a pretty solid arm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm not like a big Kirk Cousins homer, but I, I think that he's good enough. Yeah. I, I think like, just strictly from a rankings perspective, I, I have him right kind of on the borderline of that top 13. Mm-hmm. Um, the big the big thing, of course, is that his contract is not paying him like he's borderline right. top 13. Mm-hmm. But just from a pure talent perspective, um, I think he's right in the mix with with the Derek Carrs and Matt Ryans and, and people like that. The Stafford comparison is an interesting one because, yeah, like heading into last season and the last couple seasons, they've been pretty similar throughout their careers in, in a lot of statistical categories. Mm-hmm. Um, Stafford just, he just has a little bit something like yeah. a certain thing to him. That's just not necessarily like even that quantifiable, which yeah. I think we saw in the big Super Bowl, arm. like just big arm, big arm, but also just kind of a willingness to a willingness to throw the ball into tight spots and, and be a little bit more aggressive than we've sometimes seen from Kirk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Kirk is extremely accurate. Uh, and there's just the occasional moments where he can be a little bit too conservative um, mm-hmm. or make some some poor decisions. But uh, that's why I think this this season is going to be so fascinating because Kirk now has Kevin O'Connell, the the coach who worked yeah. with Stafford last year. And, and we'll see if he can kind of 
elevate him to another level. Um, Let's go to the running backs. Dalvin Cook, I have the his over under in in NFL running back rankings at four and a half. And so you're talking about like the best run, some of the best running backs in the league, the Jonathan Taylors, Derek Henry, Nick Chubb, McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Aaron Jones, people like that. Do you, do you view Dalvin cook as a top four running back? I do. Um, I think that McCaffrey after two back-to-back, major injury missed game seasons. I think that he's got a lot to prove there. Um, Camara, I, I think Dalvin's a bit over Camara. Um, who was that other back that you just mentioned? Uh, Nick Chubb. Jonathan Nick Taylor Chubb. is another one. Yeah. Jonathan Taylor's really better. Last year. He's better. Um, Nick Chubb's better, I think, but it's close. It's really close. Um, Honestly, part of me wants to say Dalvin there, but I'll stick with Chubb just because of that, the the way that he breaks tackles and can just accelerate after that. And I think he's running through tackles a bit better than Dalvin is at this point right now. But um, Dalvin's got a bit more burst, obviously. Yeah, and health, I mean, always is going to be a question mark with with Dalvin Cook. Uh, He's been able to stay pretty healthy the last few years. Not, he hasn't played a full 16 or 17 game season, but uh, when he's getting the big workloads like he is, um, that's just kind of going to happen with playing the running back position. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think, yeah, that it's another one that like is, is he's right there in that top four, top five conversation, just because he has a little bit of everything you want out of a running back in terms of vision, mm-hmm. um, acceleration, top end speed. He can catch the ball. Yeah. Uh, so another guy who I'm just very curious to see, like how his role changes, if anything, if, if it does. Yeah, in, in he's going to fit. He's going to fit this real nicely. This new offense real nicely. Just that that outside zone running that this scheme is so um, focused on is just his bread and butter. And I think it's going to be pretty special to see. They were just uh, I mean, Cam Akers, another Florida State guy um, was uh running this six months, six months after Achilles tear looking really nice. You put a healthy Dalvin back there and that's with an improved O-line too. It's, it's going to be a big year if he can stay healthy. Yeah. And Justin Jefferson is um, I think has two years into his career. I think he's already entered himself into the conversation among the best receivers in the league. I have his uh, over under here at three and a half. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, do you view Justin Jefferson as a top three wide receiver in the league, which like he has produced like some, you could argue uh, over the last couple of years, but still two years into his career, that is, that's, that would be high, very high praise considering how many talented receivers there are. You look at like Devonte Adams and Tyreek Hill and just um, so many other Jamar chase had a huge rookie year. Stefan Diggs, yeah. former Viking Cooper Cup, who I really mm-hmm. uh, neglected to mention somehow after his huge year, DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. Um, where do, do you do you think Justin Jefferson should be in that top three at, at this point after two seasons? I, man, I, I think that personally, I prefer Jamar Chase's extra juice after the catch a bit to. Justin Jefferson. I mean, I think they're very similar route runners. I think that they're very close to each other and that 
one could definitely separate themselves this coming year, but just my gut is with that, that extra juice that you get from Jamar chase that he's a little bit faster. He's a little bit more explosive. He's a little bit better at breaking that tackle. A um, little bit more explosive. Uh, I would probably say that Adams you got to go with cup right now because of the year he just had um, chase. You probably have Justin Jefferson at four, unless I'm forgetting somebody. Hill I mean, and Diggs, I think are up there. Too, Hill, but... Oh yeah. Yeah. I think Hill's up there. I, I mean, Diggs and JJ are pretty interchangeable to me right now. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy that the Vikings acquired, yeah. acquired one of them in a trade with the other. Um, yeah, I think, well, hey, that gives you a little extra credibility there. So people aren't just going to say you're a Vikings homer and you're <laughs> taking all of these, uh, yeah. all of these overs. I, I think Jefferson's right there. I mean, he's been unbelievably good through two seasons. He's kind of done a little bit of everything, but mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think saying Jamar Chase, I don't think ranking Jamar Chase ahead of him is blasphemous by any means after you, you look at the rookie year that Chase had and just some of the yeah. kind of special qualities he, qualities he had. The two played together. Uh, on the 2019 LSU offense, and and Chase was the was yep. the number one guy in that offense, and and some of that was just Jefferson was put into a, a different role, and he was playing in the slot a lot. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah Chase, I mean, Chase had a quote the other day too about um, about he was just balling last year, just playing last year, and now he's been really focusing on the finer details, and that's a scary thing to hear. Yeah. He is just his ability after the catch. Some of the plays he made last year, just truly absurd. Um, So I think I would probably take the under there ever so slightly, um, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's close. And Jefferson, another guy, like everybody in this Vikings offense is just, I'm curious to see uh, what, what they look like this year in a new scheme with a new coach. Um, Will O'Connell use him in, in some ways similar to the ramp, the ways the Rams use Cooper cup. Mm-hmm. Um, like you don't, you, you don't, you can't ask for much more out of Jester Jeff, Justin Jefferson than what you've gotten over the past two years. But, yeah. um, it'll be interesting to see if they, if they change up his, his like route tree a little bit mm-hmm. at all. Um, so the next one I want to go to is, uh, the Vikings defense, not going to like single out any specific players, but, uh, I wrote down 16.0. Like, do you think the Vikings can have a top half defense? in the NFL this season. And I I'll read a couple of stats before you uh, make your decision. The Vikings last year were 30th in total defense, 24th in scoring defense, but the advanced metrics were a lot more favorable. They were 20th in uh, PFF defense grade, 16th in DVOA, 12th in EPA per play and uh, 21st in success rate. So still not very good overall, but that's why they fired Mike Zimmer. They brought in uh, Ed Donatel, veteran, who's who's coached with Vic Fangio for a long time to lead yep. their defense. They're, they're changing to a new scheme. They add Zadarius Smith. They're getting Daniel Hunter back. So just yep. those two alone could have a huge impact coming off the edge. Uh, they draft Lewis Seen, Andrew Booth with their first couple picks to kind of revamp the secondary. And then they also swapped a couple veterans up front with, with Harrison Phillips replacing Michael Pierce and mm-hmm. Jordan Hicks replacing Anthony Barr. Do you think – the Vikings will have a top 16, a top half offense in, sorry, defense in the NFL this season. I think that 
to start the year, it might be a little bit rough, but I think that in the second half of the year, I think they'll be top 16. I think if you look around the league right now, as you mentioned, uh, Donatello's going to run a Fangio type defense, which is basically those pre-snap two high looks that are so tough to read as an offense. The best defenses in the league right now are those type of defenses. Um, a lot of guys from the Fangio tree are running those now. There's, I was reading recently that even Seattle, like who popularized the whole cover three thing, um, even they are probably going to be running a lot more of that pre-snap too high, roll it into a three or play quarter, quarter, half, or just whatever. Uh, lots of times they roll that into one, two, but just it gives you a big, a lot of versatility that you can do with your defense. It it just makes it tough on the offense to know what you're doing. Much If you have a single high safety, it's just, it's middle field close, much easier to read. And I think that there's, a clear trajectory that the NFL is going towards defensively and that the Vikings making this higher was showing some foresight to that and trying to modernize at least along with the offensive hires of Kevin O'Connell, who's obviously going to be running a McVay type offense. But I think that schematically it's, it's obviously with after years and years and years of Zimmer it is going to be a big change. Um, His defense was so intricate and had so many nuances to it that so many of these defenders have been basically in their whole career, especially the top ones. I mean, Eric Kendricks, Harrison Smith, but um, I guess bar's gone now, but yeah. So it's, I, I think that, that by the second half of the year, they'll be playing much better than they were to start the year. Cause anytime you switch to a new defense, it's usually pretty rough at, at first as you learn more of the terminology. And then that second half of the year, you can open up the playbook a little bit more. You can start trusting your back end of your defense a little bit more. You can start doing a little more creative blitzes, creative manufactured pressure looks and just stuff that can take that defense from new and learning to actually performing like an NFL defense. And I'm looking forward to watching that. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the the schematic change that they made, like with with all due respect to Mike Zimmer, who is a, a brilliant defensive yeah. tactician, like it seems like they've kind of understood um, that this is the way the league is going. And uh, there's been a lot of talk this week at Vikings minicamp about this defense and specifically the disguise where it, it starts with the two high safeties. Um, so you don't know what's coming. And then they, they're just trying to, uh, I think Patrick Peterson said, they're just trying to steal a second from the quarterback yep. um, by, by kind of disguising what they're going to do, hiding what they're going to do. Um, and so then the quarterback has a lot of work to do post snap to um, diagnose and, and figure things out. And 
in, in a game where things happen so fast, if you can steal that second, um, that's a really big deal. And that's going to help you a lot. And just personnel wise too. I mean, I think um, the, the talent is there for this to be a, a top, top 16, top 15 defense, potentially even better. If, if Zadarius Smith and, and Daniel Hunter stay healthy, that's a really good edge duo. Um, you've got some interior guys, Dalvin Tomlinson, um, who should help the run defense be a little better than it was last year because it was pretty, it was pretty ugly last year. Um, still have Eric Hendricks in the middle, who's one of the best linebackers in the league. The, um, those big D tackles in the middle are very important in this defense because the defense is more scaled to defending the pass. Those guys up front have to be good at playing their gaps. There's a whole terminology within that defensive coaching tree of gap and a half, gap and a half, where these players, they're not just playing one gap, they're playing a gap and a half. They have to be able to play their gap and then fall back into another gap um, should they need to, given whatever happens on the play. And having guys like Harrison Phillips and uh, Snacks Harrison or Dalvin Alvin Thomas in my bed. Yeah. Are you guys up there to, um, to basically execute that? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, no, I'm with you. I think the back end is going to be um, a, a big question mark. How fast can Lewis seen as a rookie safety become like a real impact player? They also have Cam Bynum who could, who could those, play. Yeah. Lewis seen, I think it's going to be really good. Those he, Georgia he was in a pro guys. ready. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. At, at cornerback, there's, is a little shaky. They brought back Patrick Peterson. Um, you got Cam Dantzler, the Andrew Booth, the rookie, I think has a chance to be really good, but mm-hmm. rookie corners sometimes take a while and he's got some, um, some injury concerns as well. But I think we're in agreement, like the scheme wise, personnel wise, even if they start slow, the defense is looking pretty, pretty solid this year. Yep. Um, one last one for you before I, I let you go is, Pretty simple and straightforward. It does not need any ex- explanation here. Um, the Vikings win total right now at most sports books is eight and a half wins. And it makes sense. They won eight last year. They won seven the year before that. Are you taking the over or the under on that? And mashing the briefly, over. Briefly convince me why. All right. You're mashing the over. Why is that? Mashing the over. It's, I mean, this team got better. It, the coaching, the coach all around the coaching's better offensive defensive uh the team itself got a little bit better um i mean who'd we lose we lost bar we lost uh i mean hicks is probably an upgrade over bar just from a coverage michael pierce um, michael everson griffin shelly richardson yeah yeah see like i think that none of those guys really moved the needle and some of the guys that we brought in zadarius smith harrison phillips um seen Louis Louis seen um potentially Andrew Booth I think that what we've also with the offensive line Dantzler year two he's not coming off an offseason where he was injured he's gonna actually be able to focus on developing as a player um the right guard competition that we've added um just obviously Bradbury is still a big question mark right now but I just I think that overall from basically every angle you look at it this team is a little bit to a good amount better and projecting looking at like last year like we're, we're going to win more games than we won last year in my opinion and that's yeah that's where i stand on that and yeah if you win more games you hit you hit the over i i i think there are a lot of good points that you kind of touched on there's a lot of reasons for 
uh, for optimism about the Vikings this year, personnel wise, um, the new coaching, like the fact that they lost a bunch of close games last year and were terrible at the end of halves and the end of games. Um, I think there's also some reasons to like, maybe be a little skeptical just with a first time head coach, a lot of change. Um, The quarterback is still Kirk Cousins, who has kind of been a 500 quarterback for most of his career. The offensive line, the secondary, but by the way, I think, I think I I said Dantzler for left tackle. I meant Derisa. Oops. Got you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, I think the eight and a half number makes sense, but I think I'm with you. I think like, I think the over makes more sense as of right now. Uh, you look at their schedule too, um, and that's that's another thing that's fairly favorable. You're not seeing a ton of uh, elite quarterbacks outside of like Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen. So, yeah. um, hey, what's what's June uh, Vikings content without a little bit of optimism? Uh, Jackson, appreciate you coming on. Yeah, um, where can people me. find where can people find you on on social media? Uh, Twitter, really. That's the only place I'm really at for football stuff. And that's going to be PFF underscore Jackson. All right. Go follow the man, Jackson. Appreciate you coming on. Have a good one, man. Yep. Thanks for having me. Take care. Okay. I want to get to a few Twitter questions before we wrap up the show. I've got five here that I'm going to hit. So going to try to do this every once in a while. So keep an eye out on my Twitter at Will Raggetts and uh, feel free to send me questions on there. This first one comes from Dinesh Kalyana Sundar. I hope I pronounced that right. At Dinster77 on Twitter. Who are some players that we are not hearing enough about right now that have a sneaky chance of making the 53-man roster? So essentially some long shots um, who aren't getting discussed much that that might be able to sneak onto the 53. And I I have two names for you um, that are kind of deep cuts. First one is Zach Davidson who was the tight end the Vikings drafted in the fifth round last year out of central Missouri. He looked really, really raw last year. And he is still a very raw player playing at such a small school. Um, Didn't see the field. He was a practice squad guy last year, but just two things work. Two things work in Zach's favor. One is that he plays tight end and the Vikings just don't have a ton of depth at tight end right now. Uh, They have Irv Smith jr. And Johnny Munt, who they brought over from the Rams Um, but those two are both a little banged up. So Zach Davidson's had a chance to get some reps with the first team offense, just because the two guys clearly in front of him, um, have been a little banged up in OTAs. Uh, and then just his size and his speed, like the dude is really tall, really long and can really run. And that's why Rick Spielman, uh, took a chance on him in the fifth round last year. So I think just because the the tight end depth chart is so kind of up for grabs, uh, Zach Davidson's competing with Ben Ellison, who is a guy that the Vikings claimed on waivers from the Jaguars early last year. And then uh, Nick Muse, who is a seventh round pick this year for that third tight end spot. Cause you assume the Vikings, even if they're not as tight end heavy this year, as they have been in the past, they're going to keep three on the 53 man roster. So I think Zach Davidson's got a shot if he can have a big training camp. And then another one is a guy who was just very recently added to the roster And that's defensive lineman, Jonathan Bullard. And what's interesting about him, I mean, this was a really kind of quiet, minor uh, free agent addition, um, well past the first few waves of free agency. Um, But Bullard kind of fits a mold that the Vikings don't have a ton of players in uh, on their roster right now. And he's that, um, that prototypical five technique um, where he's the the defensive end in the three, four, um, 
And so he's not like a true defensive tackle, nose tackle, but he's not a true edge rusher outside linebacker. Um, Bullard working in his favor has a lot of familiarity with the Vikings coaching staff. Uh, he, Chris Rumpf, the Vikings defensive line coach was his coach, uh, his position coach at Florida in 2016. And then he's also been uh, on the bears uh, with defensive coordinator Ed Donatel when Donatel was the secondary coach. So they weren't, maybe working super closely together, but um, that familiarity is why he's been added to the roster. And I think gives him a, a sneaky chance, which is how the question was phrased uh, to make it onto the 53. There's, there's a lot of competition up front on the defensive line, but uh, I think Bullard's just a solid veteran. He was a third round pick back in uh, 2017, I believe. So I think he's got, I think he's got a chance. Um, this question is from at simply honest on Twitter. Every year we see good players fall off a cliff in terms of performance. Anthony Barr, Xavier Rhodes, Linval Joseph, and Everson Griffin are a couple examples. Which player on the Vikings, in your opinion, is the most likely to regress in 2022? Now, there are several candidates for this because the Vikings are a team that has a lot of veterans and has uh, plenty of guys that are uh, either over 30 or, or approaching 30. And I don't think there's anybody I, I could pick here that would be a popular choice. This, this certainly won't be a, a choice that like Vikings fans want to hear, but I'm going to go with Harrison Smith. And I just think, I mean, Smith has had an incredible career. He's the longest tenured player on this roster, 2012 first round pick, um, multiple regimes ago. And the reason why he's been able to stay really productive um, past his athletic prime is that he's such a smart player. But I think at some point, like playing the safety position you have to have a, a ton of physical ability to be able to really move around. And, and once you diagnose, you got to be able to kind of trigger and, and go make a play, whether it's in the pass game, whether it's uh, coming downhill uh, and fitting a run. And I think Smith just seems to me like a guy with his age at his age, he might just fall off a cliff a little bit. Um, I, I don't think Harrison Smith is ever going to be like a really, really bad player. Um, but I think I could see him being a like league average or slightly below league average starting safety this year, which I think would would be considered falling off a cliff for him with the, with the standard that he set for himself. I'd, maybe it won't happen. Uh, maybe his his instincts and his um, just elite mind and football IQ will help him not do that. But that to me seems like. Um, the, the, the most likely candidate to kind of regress. Adam Thielen would be another one um, who's, who's up there in age as well. But um, Thielen's been impressive so far this offseason. This is from Ed Donatello at school or whatever, uh, and kind of a, the flip side of the last question. What players, if any, have you seen real growth in from last year to this year? Uh, it's hard to have like major takeaways from what I've seen at OTAs and minicamp so far. A lot of that'll come in training camp when the pads are on, we really haven't seen anything that's that you can evaluate from like the offensive line or the defensive line. Um, it's mostly been kind of um, passing drills that, that we focus on um, where you can actually have some takeaways. But anyways, the point I'm making is a lot of this is just going to be projection um, in, in terms of players who, who will grow from last year to this year. And the easy answer is going to be second year players because that's when that big jump, frequently happens is from a player's rookie year to their second year. Uh, so the two guys that I will throw out 
One is Christian Derrissaw. Um, I mean, he was the first round pick last year. He showed a lot of promise at left tackle athletically um, in terms of his technique. There, there's things to work on, but um, I, I could see him having a big, big jump this year and kind of um, establishing himself as a pretty good left tackle in the NFL. And another one is Patrick Jones, the second, um, the edge rusher that the Vikings selected in the third round last year. He was the only one of their four third round picks who saw the field really at all last year, played about a hundred snaps, uh, made a few plays. I can see him with his length, his size, um, his burst off of the line of scrimmage, kind of carving out a role behind Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith in that edge rotation. Um, Mike Smith, the Vikings outside linebackers coach said that, that Jones has the fastest get off in that group, including Hunter and Smith. Um, so he's a guy that I, I think he's a good run defender. Um, he was a productive pass rusher at Pitt. I could see him um, taking a, a leap this year and, and showing off a lot of growth. This is from Cam Dantzler Stan. What do you see the cornerback room looking like depth chart wise? Now, based on that username, I imagine this person is curious about where Cam Dantzler fits into the, the cornerback depth chart. Uh, and I think, the, the number one thing that we know is that Patrick Peterson is this team's top cornerback. He's, he's the number one. Yes, he's old. Yes, he was a little bit inconsistent last year and had a hamstring injury and isn't getting any younger. But, I mean, he's, a, he's probably a future Hall of Famer. He's still incredibly smart um, in terms of playing the, the cornerback position and uh, has a ton of experience. He's seen everything. He's seen all kinds of receivers all kinds of quarterbacks. Um, he's, he's done all kinds of techniques. I mean, you, you're in the league as long as you are, as long as he has been, um, and you've kind of seen it all. So he's the number one. And I think Cam Dantzler, as of right now, um, has to be the favorite for the number two and that other starting outside spot. But he is going to be pushed for sure by Andrew Booth Jr., the rookie the Vikings drafted in the second round this year. Booth is, uh, has, has some injury concerns. He hasn't really been full go at off-season practices just yet, but he, he should be good to go for training camp, the Vikings say. So uh, that could be a legit competition. And um, Booth's got a lot to to prove as a rookie um, right away if he wants to, like, see the field immediately. But it's possible. Dantzler has been good. Like, he has good PFF numbers, but there's just a level of inconsistency that he hasn't been able to shake in his first two NFL seasons. Um, you just think about, like, that play against the Lions last year where uh, the the Vikings lost to that winless Lions team and, and Dantzler, whether that was fully his fault or not, was was too far back. Um, just just things like that. There's plays in his rookie year where he um, gave up a big play against the Seahawks and DK Metcalf. Just he's he's got a lot of potential. Um, he's got good size. He was really good in the SEC uh, at Mississippi State. He can cover, but. It's just finding a little more consistency with him. And then Booth just has a, a slightly better athletic profile um, in terms of his, his quickness, acceleration, speed, um, physicality to some degree. Uh, and then Booth just comes out of Clemson with elite ball skills um, and elite pedigree in that department, making one-handed interceptions and, and things like that. So it's, it's Peterson is the one. Dantzler and Booth are competing for that second outside spot. Chandon Sullivan 
um, the former Packer is um, kind of unopposed as the starting nickel, the replacement for Mackenzie Alexander. And then there's some depth guys in there as well. Nate Hairston is another free agent the Vikings signed who um, could figure into the mix um, either inside or outside. A Caleb Evans, fourth round rookie, uh, is an intriguing name to watch. I don't know how realistic him playing a lot is this year, barring injuries, which are, of course, possible. Um, but, yeah, those are the names to know. And then there's a few, like Ty Smith, Perry Nickerson, kind of practice squad type guys. And this final question we're going to get to comes from Linwood. If the Vikings are successful next year, do you look at Mike Zimmer differently as a coach? It's a really interesting question. Um, I, my answer is not particularly, um, but not, not entirely. I'm not entirely saying no. Um, but for the most part, whatever the Vikings do this season shouldn't change how we view the run that Mike Zimmer had from 2015 to 2019 when those, those defenses were so good uh, and the Vikings were consistently, if not a playoff team, I mean, they made the playoffs every other year, but they were, uh, had a really good start in 2015. They were in it until the final week in 2018. Um, that was a really good run. Like Mike Zimmer, um, there's been a lot of shots taken at him this offseason. Um, and it's it's understandable. But um, whatever the Vikings do, it uh, shouldn't like change or diminish how we view that run Zimmer had. Now, with that said, it'll be interesting based on how the Vikings do this year and in the, in the first year under Kevin O'Connell to kind of look back and see how much blame Mike Zimmer really deserved for um, how things went wrong over the last two seasons. Cause the last two years were kind of a disaster. The Vikings were still very clearly in win now mode uh, by extending Kirk cousins and, and all that and signing veterans to try to win and um, going sub 500 both years and missing the playoffs and, and Zimmer very understandably uh, getting fired after um, the conclusion of last season. Um, but what the Vikings have done this offseason is essentially declare that they think it was all Zimmer's fault. And um, the players have some players have taken shots at him. Most recently, Chris Boyd, um, just the Vikings in the way that they have kind of approached this offseason and gearing up to be a, a win now team again. They've they've made that statement that they think a lot of this was on Zimmer and they think that Kevin O'Connell and Ed Donatel and Wes Phillips and all this entirely new coaching staff, almost entirely new coaching staff is going to make the biggest difference. Cause there hasn't, there haven't been like huge personnel changes. They brought in Zadarius Smith and obviously they had a draft and, and all that, but it, it's mostly the same core group of players uh, with just the idea that a different coaching staff can get more out of them. So if the Vikings are really good this year, then they're, they were right. Probably. Um, I mean, there's, uh, it'll be, tough to exactly quantify how much of the Vikings being good this year would be on Kevin O'Connell, but probably a lot of it. So they would probably have made the right calculation in that event. But if they're bad, if they, if they're eight and nine again, or even worse, then maybe it wasn't Mike Zimmer's fault as much as uh, the current view is maybe this roster is kind of fundamentally flawed in some ways. And and the Vikings made the wrong decision by running it back and doing a competitive rebuild as they've called it. And maybe they should have just blown it up. So um, that, that is kind of a long way of answering that question. I don't think this year's success or failure should change how we view 
the 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 bulk of the Mike Zimmer era, but I think it will definitely affect how we view how much blame Zimmer deserved for the last couple of seasons. So that'll wrap up this week's episode of the Will Raggett's show. Uh, tune in next week when I'll be joined by former Vikings linebacker and uh, current K-Fan personality, Ben Lieber. So that'll be a fun one. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you next week.